Amen. Let us uh, turn our confessional reading this evening, Lord's Day 8, page 209, in the Forms and Prayers. And uh, we'll read the two question answers together. I'll say uh, the question. Together we can say the answers for 24 and 25. As uh, 24 is, we might say, uh, a matter of, of introduction, of, of, of signposting, telling us where we're going. We're, we're going to be thinking especially about question and answer 25 tonight. Uh, but we'll read the two question and answers of, of Lord's Day 8. Beginning with question 24. How are these articles divided into three parts? God the Father and our creation, God the Son and our deliverance, and God the Holy Spirit and our sanctification. Question 25. Since there is only one divine being, why do you speak of three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Because that is how God has revealed himself in his word. These three distinct persons are one true eternal God. That is our confessional reading this evening. Let us turn now to Deuteronomy uh, chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Just after the uh, repeating of the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy 5, uh, we sometimes read these verses in in the morning, these verses from the next chapter, Deuteronomy 6, even as we did this morning. And now we come to it as our text for this evening. And our focus will be on verses 4 and 5, and even especially on verse 4. But we'll read from verse 4 to verse 9. Deuteronomy chapter 6, page 192 in the Blue ESV Bibles. Deuteronomy 6, beginning at verse 4. Let us hear the word of God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So far, the reading, the grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our Lord endures forever. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, this is not the easiest thing to count, but some say 
that there are more than 1,000 titles for God found throughout the Old and New Testament scriptures. More than 1,000 titles or names for God in the Bible. Now, the Bible is all about God. It is God's book. It is the self-revelation of God. And so, we have these many names of God. More than a thousand. But there is one name which appears much more than any other. Many times more than any other name. And that is the name Yahweh, which you may recognize as the name Lord in all caps in the Old Testament scriptures. In the two verses of our text, verses 4 and 5, we see that name Yahweh, Lord, in all capital letters, three times in those two verses. If we were to uh, zoom out and look at Deuteronomy 6, we would see it 21 times in this one chapter. But then if we were to zoom out and look at all of the Old Testament, 21 times is really just a small, small number because it appears almost 7,000 times. This one name appears almost 7,000 times in the Old Testament. Now, children, if you're old enough to count to 7,000, think about how long it would take you just to count to 7,000. That's how many times, really closer to 6,800, this one name appears in the Old Testament. That does not count the times that it appears in its shortened form, which might actually be more familiar to you. Because when we say hallelujah, 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 hallelujah means praise or you all praise or praise ye. But what does Yah mean? Well, that's just the short form of Yahweh. And so we have hallelujah, Yah, Yahweh, the personal name of God, the by far most common name given for God in the scriptures. And it, in different kinds of ways, uh, appears in the New Testament. And so uh, when we start to count that and we start to count the shortened forms, I think we can say it's not just 6,800 or so. We, we can say we're talking about 7,000 times that we see this name in the scriptures. And so uh, this is the, uh, the name of God. And as we're looking at our, our text tonight, we have, a, we have a very short theme. Yahweh is the one true God. And um, this is one time when we might say that our application is, is backloaded. Uh, we'll mostly think about application in our third point, uh, but uh, hopefully as we get there, we'll, we'll see that even just thinking about who God is, it, it applies to our lives. Thinking about who God is and knowing God better uh, really has a more of a direct application to our life than we, than we usually think. Uh, and so, But we'll get to that in our third point. Our first point is God names himself, 
Our second point is God defines himself. And then looking a little bit at verse 5, our third point is God commands all. So we begin with this. God names himself. And uh, as we're looking at that, we see, so there's that Lord in all caps, Hero Israel, the Lord, Yahweh. Uh, but then we see, uh, after that, the second most common name for God in the Old Testament, and that is the, the name or title God. The Lord, our God. Uh, it is, uh, Yahweh appears 6,800, 7,000 times. Uh, Elohim, uh, the Hebrew name for God, appears 2,000 times. And then, uh, so that's a pretty big gap by itself. And then you have another very big gap before you get to any kind of third place. And so these are, uh, this is the declaration, right? This is, uh, this is kind of a, of a culminating command. This is the word that introduces verse five, which Jesus Christ calls the greatest commandment. And, and what do we have? We have the most common name for God repeated twice, Yahweh. And then we have also the second most common name, our God, Elohim. Uh, and, uh, we, we have uh, Moses here using the names and specifically Yahweh, Lord in all caps, twice here in this, this pivotal verse introducing the greatest commandment. And Moses knew from experience earlier in his life that this was the primary name that God wanted to be identified as. Please turn back with me uh, to Exodus chapter 3. And so we're now we're turning, uh, what, about 80 uh, years back in the life of Moses and about 80 pages or so back in our Bibles. And we go to Exodus uh, chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. And uh, I'd appreciate it if you, if you had those uh, verses open before you. Exodus 3, we're going to read 13 and 14. Exodus 3, beginning at verse 13. And so this is at the burning bush. And then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And then verse 15. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. Now, if you're looking at the English, our translators have done something helpful for us. They've translated LORD in all caps, the covenant name Yahweh, and they've also put other things in all capital letters for us such as, I am who I am, and I am has sent me to you. And then we might look also at just the structure of, say this to them, I am has sent me to you. Well, that at the end of verse 14 leads right into 15. The Lord has sent me to you, with some words in between. What's, what's going on there? Why is, why is that connection? Yahweh, if we were to translate it, would be something like I am who I am. 
They come from the same root word. They both come from what we might call the to be verb, the verb of existence. That is, that is where the name Yahweh has its, has its root. And so when God says, I am who I am, the English translators try to get that connection through to us by putting that in all capitals just as they put Lord in all capitals again and again and again and again about seven times per chapter all through the Old Testament. This is the name of declared self-existence. This is the primary name of God. Now, brothers and sisters, let's keep that in mind. And now let's go to the New Testament together. John chapter 8. And uh, once again, I would, I'd appreciate if you turn there with me. And then if you wanted to keep a, a pen or, a, or a, some kind of a bookmark in, in the Gospel of John, we'll be reading a handful of verses from John tonight. And we begin with John 8, verses 56 to 59. So keep in mind, uh, this uh, the, the covenant name, Yahweh, it's related to saying, I am who I am. I am has sent me to you. Yahweh has sent me to you. Now what does Je- Jesus say in John 8, 56-59? Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Now, why did they pick up stones? It's because Jesus is saying, I am. I exist in myself. I existed before Abraham existed, even though I was born a little over 30 years ago when I came in my physical existence onto this earth. I already existed. I am. I exist. I am Yahweh. I am the self-existent one. I name myself. In other words, they picked up stones because they did not believe him. And they recognized that he was saying, I am God, I am Yahweh, I am divine. And so disbelieving him, they pick up stones, which is what you do to someone who would blaspheme, who would claim to be God. But of course, they are picking up stones against the one who is God who is and was and is to come, who can say before Abraham was, I am. God names himself. Jesus names himself. Jesus is. Jesus is Yahweh. There are are other ways that that is revealed in the New Testament, such as times when uh, Old Testament passages, uh, which refer to Yahweh, are used and translated with the Greek word Lord, kurios, and applied directly to Jesus Christ. In a number of ways, the New Testament tells us 
Jesus is Yahweh. Jesus is the Lord. Now, now turn back to John 5, verses 24 to 26. Uh, because even though we're going to think about applications, especially in the last point, let's just think about the application of who has the power to give life? Who has the power to declare life, to declare salvation? Who has existence in himself and can give existence and life and life eternal to others? This is all, this is all related to the one who has the name of self-existence, who names himself who is and has life in himself. And so we read these words from Jesus recorded in John 5, verses 24 to 26. Truly, truly, verse 24, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in Himself, so He has granted the Son also to have life in Himself. The very name of God repeated over and over and over and over and over again reminds us of who God is and the power that God has. We are weak, but He is strong. We do not exist in ourselves. We do not declare who we are. We do not name ourselves. We do not give birth to ourselves. We do not give spiritual birth to ourselves. But we depend on the One who does exist in Himself, who has life in Himself and can give life to us as we trust in him. God exists. And that existence is simply declared. It is His very name. I am who I am. So, in a way, we've already started our second point. Because the name of God is already starting to define who God is. But surely God has defined Himself in other ways through His self-revelation as well. And we'll look at just one of those as we come to our second point. As he not only says, Yahweh, our God, by the way, our God, that has to be specified, right? Because there are false gods. And there are times, about 200 times in the Old Testament, when the name God is used to refer to false gods, right? But Yahweh... Yahweh, that is the name of God. So when you put it together, Yahweh, our God, one of those needs a qualifier and the other does not. He is Yahweh. He is our God. He is the one true God. Well, what's, uh, what comes after that? Who, who is Yahweh, our God? Yahweh is one. Yahweh is one. The Lord is one. And so this is an essential part of God's definition, self-revelation of Himself. God is one. John 10, verse 30. said we'd read a number of verses from John tonight. John 10, verse 30. Jesus says it this way. I and the Father are 
1. Now remember in John 8 when he said, Before Abraham was, I am. What did they do? They picked up stones. What happens after Jesus says, I and the Father are one? Verse 31, the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. God is one. That is plainly declared in the Old Testament. It is plainly declared in the New Testament. Now, God is three persons. And that is plainly revealed, especially as the second person of the Trinity comes onto this earth and speaks of himself and speaks of the Father and relates to the Holy Spirit. That's really where we see the three persons. And as the New Testament people of God, we may be tempted to overemphasize that threeness because we now have that clear revelation of the threeness and we have the second person who has come down and who has died on the cross for our sins. It is especially the work of deliverance which is the work of the Son. But both in the Old and the New Testaments, God is one. Yahweh is one. I and the Father are one. So even as we are the New Testament people who have, who have seen the clear revelation of the, of the three persons of the Trinity, let us remember God is one essence. God is one essence. Look at question answer 25. Notice how this question and answer takes this elevated truth this threeness and oneness, this trinity and unity. And it states this truth in our confession with what we might call a humble simplicity. Since there is only one divine being, right, so here's a time where the question is already stating what is. Why do you speak of three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Because that is how God has revealed himself in his word. Why do we speak of three persons, one essence? Because that is how God has revealed Himself. And, and, that is, and that is it. In many ways, there is not much more than we can say. We know the triune nature of God. But let us know that God is one. There is one God. Now, there are some who take truths, and the truth of the Trinity is, is one of the first truths that people will, will take, and they, they make truths like this, doctrinal truths, an excuse to, to deny that God exists. How, how, can, how can there be three persons in one essence? How can this work? Now, today, many of the same persons who would say something like that have no problem believing that life can come from non-life, but that's, uh, that's a separate sermon. But there, there, there is a, there is a, we might say, a certain kind of tension in the sense that it's, it's just beyond what we can know. Think of how the psalmist says it. And now the psalmist is not speaking about the Trinity. The psalmist is speaking about the protecting providence of God, where even when we're going through trials, God is upholding us and protecting us and hemming us on either side. Uh, but speaking about the protecting providence of God, the psalmist says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me 
It is too high. I cannot attain it. Uh, Psalm 139, the psalmist is talking about God's protecting providence. Surely that language applies to the triune nature of God as well. It is, it is too high. I cannot attain it. I am not three persons in one essence. I cannot grasp this, fully understand it. But I must live by it. And since that is how God has revealed it in His Word, I accept it as true and I live by how God has revealed Himself to me. And I worship God as God has revealed Himself to me. Charles Spurgeon, we've been taking a number of Spurgeon illustrations for those who have been here the past few weeks. He once illustrated uh, the folly of, of denying truths about God that we cannot understand by picturing three men, as there's nothing here about the Trinity, it's just, it's just the illustration, three men who walk into a diner. And two of the men are philosophers and they sit down at the same table and they start debating about food and, and, and how, how does food even... Uh, how does food even nourish us and all these kinds of things and they just kind of get into a big argument and finally they get up and they walk out and they never even eat their dinner. The third man, he walks in and he sits down and he eats his dinner and he's fed and he departs. Well, when Spurgeon was, was born, there were still debates about how food even was was digested. Even when Spurgeon was born, there were still debates about if food was broken down mechanically or if it was broken down by chemicals. Now, during Spurgeon's lifetime, this illustration became dated. Uh, unlike the Trinity, we reached a point where we have a pretty good understanding of how food is digested and all those kinds of things. But while the illustration is dated, the point is relevant. Do not get caught up in something that we cannot understand and think that because I can't understand it, I can't grab hold of it and and walk away. No. This is how God has revealed Himself. We accept it in humble faith. And here I'll take the illustration a little bit further because even though we do now have a pretty good understanding of how food is digested, if we want to study it, how many of us have studied all the details of how our food is digested from every step of the way. We don't, probably most of us don't understand how our food is digested, but we still eat and we are still nourished and we are still fed. And when it comes to theological truth, that was, that was what Spurgeon was illustrating. We do not walk away from truth because we cannot understand it. We feed upon and we receive in humble faith that which God has revealed to us. And so this is true for uh, not only for this, but, but for other theological truths as well. So Spurgeon said it this way, thousands are now happy in the Lord by receiving the gospel like little children, while others who can always see difficulties or invent them are as far off from ever as having a comfortable hope of salvation. They have resolved never to come to Christ till they can understand some doctrine. I might as well determine never to eat a morsel of bread till it, ha- it has been explained to me how it is that it nourishes me. So by humble faith, let us receive the truths of Scripture. Let us receive the truth that God is one. God is three persons. Let us receive the truth that God is Savior. I am sinner 
depending upon his coming and his work to save me from my sins. Well, brothers and sisters, I said we would have an application uh, more in our third point. And so let's come now to, to that third point. God commands all. For when we hear truths about who God is, how does that apply to our lives? It is not always easy to see immediately the connection between theological truths and practical applications. But brothers and sisters, as we get into our third point, let us let us note that it is no coincidence that this great declaration of who God is is immediately followed by the first and greatest commandment. Theological truth is married to, immediately preceded by, the first and great commandment that that summarizes what we are called to do. So verse 4 is followed by verse 5. You shall love Yahweh, the Lord your God, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And then uh, we often quote this as Jesus says it in the New Testament, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's been said that that's just um, the, the, the Hebrew words for soul and heart are so big that it's almost like you have to say four words in Greek to try to get at what those words include in, in Hebrew. Uh, that's a little bit lost to us as we read it all in English. Uh, but uh, in the Hebrew, uh, soul and heart, these are, these are big words. They relate to the inner self. They relate to the seat of our emotions. They relate to our mind as well. And so uh, we just have the three words in, in the Hebrew, the first giving of the great commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And so uh, we can state the application something like this, putting our points together. God is the self-existent one, and he gives his perfect and eternally standing commands. And as God is one, we are then called to to obey, to receive, to submit to, to love him and all that he has commanded to us. And so, uh, turning once more to John, if you still have a, a, a pen, a bookmark, a finger in John, we turn now to John 14 and hear how the commandments of God and love for God are put together in John chapter 14. John chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And then uh, John 14, verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. And so uh, we're called to worship the one true God. We're called to to hear him, to obey him. And so without working through all of the Ten Commandments, the theological truth of who God is immediately flows into the great commandment, which is related to and the foundation upon which hangs all of the law and the prophets. And so all of the thou shalt do's come from the self-existent one the one true God. And so in that way, our our application is 
it's, it's a broader application tonight, but it's something like this. The truth of who God is leads to all of our applications and all of the do's and don'ts that God gives to us, that he has every right to give to us. But then there's something else uh, beyond what we might call pure commandment, and that this is commandment which is tied to relationship. We do not just obey words in stone. We obey the one who gives us that word in stone, who as we trust in him with saving faith, calls us to obey him in, in personal relationship, in personal love. Indeed, we cannot really obey any of the commandments unless we do so in relationship and in love to God. And so now we put together our three points and it goes something like this. When we know better who God is, the name by which he declares himself, his trinity and unity and all of these things, well, then then we are part of what it means to be in relationship with him, to truly love him. Uh, Fred, Fred Kluster uh, put this together well when he said it this way. Quote, Marriage cannot prosper unless each spouse has a true and adequate understanding of the other. Parents need to understand the individual characteristics of their children, and children need to understand their parents for love and fellowship to prosper. The same is true of intimate friendships of any kind. Can anything less be expected in one's relationship to the living God? Of course not. For the I-thou relation between a believer and God to exist, prosper, and grow, the believer needs to understand the living, personal, triune God into whose fellowship he or she has graciously entered. And so you see, people of God, when we're thinking about theological truths and we're considering the theological truths of how God has revealed himself in his word, that's part of what it means to grow in relationship with God. Because part of what it means to grow in relationship with anyone is to better understand those around us, to better relate to them, to better be able to love them. Now that's not all the picture. Uh, and so and now we, we put following God, obeying Him together with knowing Him. Right? We, we, we need the full picture, but, but they're both part of the full picture. Know God. Love God. And that is related to obeying God, following Him, all of these things. And so, uh, people of God, uh, this is... This is one of those foundational texts. It is the text uh, which Jesus Christ goes to when he summarizes the law, when he summarizes what is required of us. And knowing God has uh, an application in, in everything else that comes from it. God has every right to command us. God exists in himself. 
And as we better know who God is, we can better enter into the fellowship that he calls us into through the work of of the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, who came down to pay for our sins, to restore the fellowship that's broken by sin. And so this is Yahweh. This is the great I Am. And He is the one true God. Amen. Let us pray. Yahweh, our God, bring us in a relationship of loving obedience before You. For You have first loved us and You have first been obedient for us. Lead us to give our heart, our soul, our